You're listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. Welcome to a special edition of the podcast recorded live at Intercom's recent event, Onraising Capital. In this episode, Owen, our CEO, interviews Ethan Kurtzwell from Vesemir Partners, who led our Series B investment round. So, uh, next up is our uh, Series B investor. Um, this firm is quite a bit different from uh, the Social Capital Partnership. Um, they are 104 years old. They have had 115 IPOs. Um, They've invested in everyone from Pinterest to LinkedIn. Uh, this gentleman himself has been involved in Twitch, Twilio, Zeusk, and a range of interesting, very interesting companies. Um, this firm and this partner brought uh, much needed rigor to the way that we needed to work to get ready to become a bigger company, to be that series B stage company. Um, I'm delighted to welcome from uh, Bessemer Venture Partners, uh, Ethan Kurzweil. Thank you. Okay, uh, so let's start off talking about Series B. I'm not going to ask you two to say something nice about me. Um, what do you look for at a Series B stage company? Great. Well, well first of all, don't I look good for 104? Would you have, <laughs> would you have guessed? You know, it's, I can tell you about this technology we have at Bessemer. You know, um, well, so, so in general or with respect to Intercom? For a series um, let's do in general. I mean, you know, Mamoon gave us great insight on what it takes for someone to raise a Series A and, and what he looks for. Um, series B is a bit different. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of these terms now have been uh, up-leveled, so to speak, in terms of, you know, what was a Series A, you know, five years ago is now a <clears throat> kind of small seed round, and what was a Series B is now a Series A. And so... The way I think of a Series B is it's kind of the round where you take um, the gems of, a, of an exciting product, you have some, you, you, you've discovered product market fit, you figured out that you're solving a real need that's, that exists out there, like you had when we first met. It was very clear that for people that had discovered Intercom, it was a better way of doing what, um, what they had done before using you know, older or different technologies, or not at all, because they didn't have the technology. It was clear, but what needed to happen was you needed to take that and build a, a you know, blow out the business around it, put in, put in place marketing and sales and other go-to-markets to make that bigger, to build the other enabling uh, infrastructure for the company and the business to, uh, you know, realize the full potential that you have here. So I think about it as, you know, we look for really great, and, and you know, we're investing at all stages, so this criteria applies across the board, but at the series... B stage, we want to see the data that supports the thesis that you've found a product market fit for some people, and that it's working, and that we think it can get bigger. Right, 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 right. So, speaking then about Bessemer, uh, stage agnostic, generally speaking, um, we spoke about Mimoon's um, firm, small firm, young firm. You guys are very different. We talked about you being an old firm. There are many, many partners. Are there five offices? Seven, yeah. Seven offices yeah. around the world. Um, let's compare and contrast. I mean, what are, the, what are the differences that you experience, I guess, as a founder and as a partner in a firm like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so our, our model has always been to be stage agnostic and very roadmap driven and roadmap focused. And so what we do, there are 15 partners at Bessemer. 
and we try to build our own thoughts and theses about what we're looking to find and what we're looking to invest in. Um, and there are things that range from healthcare, new healthcare technologies and pharma, to um, the, you know, SaaS tools, to developer platforms, to marketplaces, to consumer products and social products. And we try to uh, understand a little bit about what we're looking to find before we find it. Um, so that we, have, we bring some thinking around what, you know, what it is that makes a certain company special and what it is about a certain type of founder that makes you special, uh, uh, you know, in this case, to be able to ha have those thoughts formed. And so with Bessemer, um, that model has enabled us to scale and keep some elements of a small firm, but within a sort of you know, much bigger infrastructure, as you, as you mentioned. And so it is nice that we've had partners focused on such different areas across many different things that we can call on to give perspectives on uh, different challenges that our businesses might be having, or that we can provide infrastructure that we think will benefit a whole range of different companies from talent and business development to you know, other more specialized for forms of support. But we also staff it, you know, we're, we're 50 people on the investing team, sort of set, uh, and, you know, another uh, 10 to 15 that support our founders. We staff it so that we have a lot of people that can help and that we can bring a lot of um, expertise and knowledge and really be there for you because you might think with a big firm you're not getting that. Um, but the elements of our strategy that I think um, you know, most relate to companies is we can invest at any stage. You know, Twilio started out as a $125,000 seed investment and then we led three subsequent rounds for them. Um, and so we're, we're trying to um, develop these and meet the best companies wherever we find them along the way. And what's nice is we feel like we can develop a relationship with founders over time, get to know them. I think in our case it, was, it happened very quickly, but in some cases it, it plays out over many years. And we can really take that commitment because we don't make many investments, each partner two to three a year right. sort of right. max. Right. Right. Right take that commitment sort of with full knowledge wherever we catch the company along right. the way. Right. Um, you know, Mamu made it clear this is not a zero-sum game. Um, we're all bullish on technology and there's a lot of great companies out there. Um, but you are competing for deals. You're competing for deals. Um, like, you know, my perspective on, you know, VCs in the Valley, again, they're all trying to get noticed. They're all tweeting over each other. They're all blogging. Some firms, like in Treason Horowitz, are just better than others. They just play that game. There's a bunch of games to play. I mean, how do you do it? How do you guys get deals? Well, we hire the best-looking people. All right, that, got it. That <laughs> tends to work. And then, we all, you know, best-looking, most charming personality. Um, no. Um, uh, so every firm has a different style. And Dreesen's style has been... Um, has been very successful as a new entrant to get noticed, right? I mean, they've done a phenomenal job at some of the things you mentioned and um, raising awareness. And uh, frankly, I think reinventing some elements of the VC industry that needed to be reinvented. I mean, I've been in the industry seven years, so sort of three years before they came around. There were some practices that I think, quite rightly, they disrupted. Um, our model is not that. Um, it goes back to our roots. Um, our roots as a firm, you know, the 104 years was, was a family office that was set up. And the patriarch of this family was Andrew Carnegie's partner. His name's Henry Phipps. Nobody knows who Henry Phipps is. You say Carnegie Steel, you think Andrew Carnegie, people know who Carnegie is, Carnegie Hall. Nobody knows who Phipps is. Um, that's kind of in our roots as a firm. We, we, we don't necessarily want to be known. We want to be kind of behind the scenes supporting our entrepreneurs. 
Um, and so if we do that right, if we do a good job of that, you're gonna tell your friends that, and, and, you're, and you're gonna tell your audience here that, that we're worth working with. And so for us, it, it, has, it, has, it has not been a um, sort of you know, broad mouthpiece type of industry. It's about developing focused content on areas that we care about, aligned to our roadmaps, um, and trying to provide something back to the entrepreneur such that um, you know, we're someone that they can recommend. Yeah. Super interesting. So um, Twilio, do I describe them as like a communications infrastructure, communications platform, cloud communications? Yeah, they say, <laughs> they say cloud communications. Okay, that, cool. And so, they for developers, specifically targeted to developers. So I reach TechCrunch. TechCrunch says that they may be interested in an IPO. Let's talk about IPOs. Sure. Um, is IPO the end goal for any technology company? Is that the goal? So. Um, if I answer the question, am I acknowledging that Twilio <laughs> may be going public? Because no, no, no. I have no comment on that. Um, so I, I think there are certain types of category-defining companies where an IPO is not the end goal, but it's a, it's a, it's a step along the way um, that enables them to, to reach what may be a broader opportunity that they have there. Um, and so certainly, you know, an IPO is a step along that path to where a company may ultimately want to get to. And, and that, you know, for Twilio, the goal is to reinvent, you know, Jeff, the founder's goal is to, you know, reinvent the way we do, the way we build communications technologies. It's a very big, broad mission. And I'm not sure, frankly, that it fits within any other company. You know, you could make an argument as to where it might fit, but I'm not sure it does. And so in that case, in cases like that, um, at some point along the way, an IPO will make sense. There are other cases um, where, for, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, an M&A outcome or some other outcome is, is the right answer. And I mean, if, you know, all else being equal, you know, from the part of the investor, we're speaking generally now, generally for companies, um, is not an acquisition, just cleaner. Like, if, you know, company goes public, they achieve a valuation in the public market of $1.5 billion, or a company can get an exit for $1.5 billion, is that just cleaner, better, investors prefer that? Not if you want to have a long career as a venture capitalist, right? Because, you know, our, our goal is to see entrepreneurs fulfill their dreams and aspirations and build great lasting companies in the process. And sometimes, in, do, in so doing, they attract lots of interest. And there's lots of companies that want to, um, you know, acquire them and make a strategic acquisition. Or, they've, or in some cases, companies, you know, run out of room and, and their best home is with an acquirer because they, they've hit a wall in some way. Um, and so I wouldn't say acquisitions are cleaner or IPOs are easier. Uh, they both present a unique set of challenges and they both um, present a unique set of opportunities. And it's really, it's not for us to say what's right for a particular company. It's, it's for us to help advise the founder on making that decision. Right. Why are we seeing no tech IPOs right now? You know, the, the short answer is I don't know. I mean, the market always goes through ups and downs and cycles um, where <clears throat> certain elements of the market get ahead of other elements. And then in, in, in certain cases, I think you, you see the private markets get ahead of the public ones. And that's certainly, I think, the, the, the situation we're in now. Um, these things are very cyclical. And there's always an end to the current cycle that we're in. Um, and so I do think there's been some skepticism as to some of the companies that have gone public, uh, specifically in terms of 
you know, what the fundamental value of some of those businesses are that's causing uh, the, the, the folks that buy into public offerings to be a little more disciplined, but uh, that'll come and go. That's not, a, that, that, that's not an end. That's just a, t a temporary pause. Right. And, uh, you know, we're still in a relatively healthy market, and, you know, there will be IPOs, yep. you know. Did that little bit of volatility in the market over the last couple of weeks um, affect the potential for tech companies to go public right now? Yeah, I mean, I think they're probably, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't have a company having these discussions right now, but it, it, I, I'm sure everyone's having these discussions with their bankers as to what the right timing or what the impact long-term will be of, you know, China and interest rates and, you know, the, the global macro questions that are out there. That's always, you know, there's always th that sort of thing that goes on. Um, I think it remains to be seen what impact it will have because these things, these conversations play out in private and then, they, and then they, they happen over a long period of time that they become known and, and they have an impact. Right. So um, the kind of, the joke was over the weekend when, you know, the Chinese public stock market was really feeling not good. <laughs> the joke was that the Monday morning partner meetings in the firms around the valley were going to be interesting. Do, like, how closely do uh, investors look at the public market? Did you guys say, oh shit, can we just wait a day to make a call on this investment? I mean, it uh, was kind of scary for a split second, right? So it's okay. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think, I think for a while we have been feeling like there's some irrationality in the system in terms of <clears throat> the, the, the flow of capital, I mean, you alluded to it in your, in your conversation with Mamoon, the flood of capital is perhaps at a, at a peak at this point. It's, a, it's, a, it's at an aggressive pace. And so we have been feeling like um, there, there likely will be a, that too will be cyclical and there likely will that will not continue at the, at the current trend where you cannot extrapolate it. And so the, we've been having these conversations for a long time as to which uh, investments and which particular opportunities make sense for us to pursue. That, frankly, what happened to China is a tiny data point in that long discussion that we try to figure out. For us as a multi-stage firm, we've, you know, one of the adjustments we've made is to skew earlier, is to make earlier stage investments where we feel like we're less immune Sorry, we're more immune to the short-term risks that, that, that we see in the market. So no, that partnership meeting wasn't some huge you know, sea change. Did it come up that Monday? I can't, honestly can't even remember if it did. I mean, I think we've been talking for a, a long time about um, you know, multiple specifically in SaaS correcting, and I think that came up, but I don't, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't a big discussion, no. Right. All right, so, okay, for now, thank you, Ethan, as well. Thank you. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, just visit soundcloud.com forward slash intercom. And if you want to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.io.